Welcome to Equity Granted, an executive chat where we help guide you, the senior level corporate executive of a publicly traded company, toward personal financial peace of mind. In the coming weeks, we'll walk you through financial parity planning when choosing career paths, pension decisions, general stock based compensation, planning for the special needs of a family member, and planning for the international expatriate executive. SFG's sister company is SFG Investment Advisors, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Our website is sfgadvisors.com, spelled S as in Sam, F as in Frank, G as in George, A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S.com. Welcome back to our podcast series, and we would like to welcome back as our special guest, Linda Steffen. After 20 years of providing compensation and financial performance advice to public company boards, Linda founded M3X Analytics in 2018 to offer data analytics and negotiation support to management teams and individual executives concerning their compensation value proposition. With a banking and economics background, Linda approaches executive compensation decisions with financial theory rather than just traditional governance practices often dictated by shareholder advisory firms. Linda has extensive boardroom consulting experience across multiple industries and businesses with unique operating and financial situations. She has specific expertise with recently public companies and companies in other transitional phases. Current clients include top executives at public and PE-owned companies. Linda held senior consulting roles with various consulting firms, including Meridian, Willis Towers, Watson, Watson Wyatt, Compensia, Deloitte. She also headed the compensation group at Amazon.com. Linda began her career as a corporate banker in Chicago and received her MBA from the University of Chicago and a BS in finance and economics from Miami University. So today's topic is executive women's wealth building through compensation, paths, obstacles, strategies, and tactics. You know, in our practice, we oftentimes communicate to our clients, you know, it's very difficult to save at a rate sufficient enough to build wealth the way that various forms of executive stock-based compensation can help the executive to build wealth. And today's topic, we're going to take a a unique twist and focus and um, in discussing executive women's wealth building. So Linda, I would start off by asking, what is wealth building within the context of employment from your perspective? Well, you know, as an employee, wealth building requires getting to the executive level by age 50 so that you can monetize your achievements in the last 15 years of your corporate career, usually through equity accumulation in the company. Although equal numbers of males and females are finishing undergrad and advanced degrees, only a small portion of women make it to the executive level. Approximately 7% of S&P 500 and Russell 3000 CEOs are female. All of the 20 highest paid CEOs in 2020 were male, which may indicate those women at the top are accruing less wealth. So, Linda, do you have an explanation as to why these gender outcomes at at the executive level? Yeah, well, after you know, after years of being in boardrooms where executive promotions and hires were decided, 
I have boiled it down to a simple, probably a little too simple, hypothesis. I believe many women are unknowingly falling behind early in the internal corporate climb, resulting in the drop from approximately 40 to 50% representation at the entry level to 7% at the executive level. And those few women who have made it to the top have done a long climb slowly and steadily at the same company instead of job hopping. And because of that path, they have missed out on the huge wealth creating grants often provided when, when moving from company to company. As a result, the few women making it to the executive ranks are not building as much wealth as their male counterparts. So why do so many women starting strong fall behind during the internal climb? Well, from my cohort of well-educated women who entered the workforce 30 years ago, I saw hardworking team-playing women start to fall behind as soon as the climb became competitive. My speculation is not parent of blame, but really the corporate hunger games. The basis of my hypothesis is that there are two very different sets of rules being used by players in the same game. The written rules reward behaviors often found in women, and the unwritten rules reward perceived winners, also known as performers. Studies 20 years ago showed that women were more cooperative than men, while recent studies show much less of a difference. According to most corporate handbooks, team play, which women are generally good at, will be rewarded. But in practice, this is really a tournament of individuals where winners advance and losers fall behind. In fact, if you rotate an organizational chart 90 degrees, you'll see it's a tournament bracket. And compensation programs are designed to reward the, the individual tournament winners rather than collective advancement. In team working environments, women are more likely to share credit for accomplishments and, ex and expect others will, will um, do the same. That's more or less my opinion. Um, but those playing by the unwritten rules of winner-take-all will take as much of the credit they can take to win the round. It's really just, you know, part of the game. Um, because of this, I believe women are falling into the consolation bracket early in the game and are not aware of their losses until it's too late. The gap only increases over time, making the route to the top no longer attainable through the internal climb. It's interesting that you use the analogy of a tournament and a game and a competition uh, in all of this. Um, I think you're giving a kind of a practical picture of what you see. And um, we would imagine that a lot of this is coming from your own direct experience. But, you know, you mentioned job hopping. What, what happens if a woman job hops from your perspective? If they're, if they're job hopping, if those women that have fallen behind, we'll, we'll focus on that first, they're, they're, they're going to have a tough road. For those who have fallen really significantly behind, the executive bound back, changing companies may only be an escape rather than a means to catch up. Title and pay disclosures can handicap advancement. The job hop will, will be from a point of weakness, which could place them behind in the new company. Advancements can even be slowed further if, in the new company, the new hire does not carefully reevaluate their internal climbing strategy to work in a new environment. So even with changing companies, it is very difficult to get back into the game once fallen behind in the corporate framework. Linda, as we're, we're talking about executive compensation, I understand your reasoning of why women representation has dwindled, but can you explain why these women that made it to the executive level are less advantaged in terms of their overall compensation and wealth than their 
comparable male peers? For any gender, the biggest gains in compensation and wealth creation are through job hopping, where you, where you lessen the wait time for advancement and receive large additional bonuses and grants upon hire. You would expect many of those women who have successfully climbed internally would accelerate the rate of ascent and receive significantly greater pay by a well-timed jump to another company as they approach the executive level. But of the few women who are currently top executives, it appears the majority choose not to top to the top. As of last week, the 32 women CEOs in the S&P 500 have a median tenure in the CEO role of three years while their median time working at the company is 17 years. So they didn't job, they, they didn't hop there um, in the last few years. I believe job changing, which is the riskiest and most lucrative way to the top for anyone, is even more risky for many women. Many of those ascending women are well aware that they walk a tightrope of behavioral beliefs within their own organization in addition to delivering results that cannot be ignored. These perceptive women may also see the risk of competing in a new tournament system not worth the possibility of accelerated rate descent and wealth building. So they decide to stay put. In my opinion, they should not be viewed as risk averse, but good assessors of the high risk of a woman competing in an unknown organization. Unfortunately, their perceived loyalty not only denies them the opportunity to make massive jumps in title and pay, it also may limit large promotional increases and special actions such as large retention grants since they are not perceived to be at risk of jumping ship. The result is the few women making it to the executive ranks are not building as much wealth as their male counterparts. I'm sure I have oversimplified the plight of women building wealth through compensation, but it is at least at least provides a story consistent with the data. Well, it may be an oversimplification, but you've also seen it firsthand. So for you, the listener, uh, as an executive, regardless of your gender, I think that it's helpful to hear this perspective. As you're developing and growing your teams and you're looking to develop leadership, we have seen in our own practice that women executives who do rise in the ranks uh, do very well for themselves. But I do think that what you're talking about here, Linda, is very helpful to kind of augment their paths. I, I guess the next question is, what can be done to help more women gain access to significant wealth creation? If you're now at the top and queen of the hill, you can change the rules to reward teamwork or just clarify the unwritten rules of the term. It's not affirmative action, it's actually leveling, just leveling the playing field. It's also considered providing wealth creating special equity grants for loyalty instead of just for retention or attracting new hires. If you're climbing the corporate ladder, constantly assess the changing unwritten rules and, the, and competition within the brackets. Find the right coach who can help you walk the tightrope um, of playing by both the written and unwritten rules without being viewed as being too aggressive, harsh, or unpolished. Or, you know, the many other great descriptions bestowed upon hard-charging women. If you cannot win under their rules, the written or unwritten rules, start the job, the job hunt before you have lost too many rounds and become marked as damaged goods. No matter how loyal or how well the job is going, always take the time to talk with recruiters. Be proactive. You should always be managing your progress towards building wealth through compensation. 
Linda, this has been very helpful. Um, there's so much more that could be said on this topic, and we've only scratched the surface. Would you be open to the idea of, of uh, let's say, a part two of this conversation? Yes, that'd be great. And we can talk a little bit more of the down and dirty tactics of, of the negotiations and such. Before we go, would you be willing to talk a little bit about the rules as you see them? As I had mentioned, that the cooperation, the difference between males and females in cooperation, I think has changed over the years. Um, I'll be very interested to see how the younger generation that are you know, out maybe five or ten years from, from school right now, how they're doing in their um, advancement and if they're experienced that same written and unwritten rules or are they able to play in the same game. But I'm really kind of describing the last 30 years and trying to describe where where the, the top women are today. Linda, thank you so much. So um, this is the first of a two-part episode on the topic of executive women's wealth building through compensation, paths, obstacles, strategies, and tactics. So Linda, thank you so much for your time today and bringing much of this to light. We know that these can be somewhat challenging topics for for folks, particularly for executive women. So thank you for being willing to share your thoughts and perspective. And uh, with that, we'll conclude our first part of this episode. Thank you for having me. The likelihood of various investment outcomes is hypothetical. Discussion of these possible outcomes do not represent actual investment results. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. Changes in investment strategies, contributions, or withdrawals may materially alter the performance and results of a portfolio. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and there can be no assurance that any specific investment will be suitable or profitable for a client's investment portfolio. Nothing provided herein constitutes tax advice. Individuals should seek the advice of their own tax advisor for specific information regarding tax consequences of investments. This discussion may contain forward-looking statements relating to the objectives, opportunities, and the future performance of the U.S. market generally. Forward-looking statements may be identified by the use of such words believe, expect, anticipate, should, planned, estimated, potential, and other similar terms. Example of forward-looking statements include but are not limited to estimates with respect to financial condition, results of operations, and success or lack of success of any particular investment strategy. All are subject to various factors included but are not limited to general and local economic conditions, changing levels of competition within certain industries and markets, changes in interest rates, changes in legislation or regulation, and other economic, competitive, governmental, regulatory, and technological factors affecting a portfolio's operations that could cause actual results to differ materially from projected results. Such statements are forward-looking in nature and involve a number of known and unknown risks uncertainties, and other factors. And accordingly, actual results may differ materially from those reflected or contemplated in any forward-looking statements. Prospective investors are cautioned not to place undue reliance on any forward-looking statements or examples. None of SFG, Investment Advisors, Inc., or any of its affiliates or principals, nor any other individual or entity assumes any obligation to update any forward-looking statements as a result of new information, subsequent events, or any other circumstances. All statements made herein speak only as of the date that they were made. SFG, Investment Advisors, Inc., is an investment advisor in Doylestown, PA. SFG Investment Advisors, Inc. is registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC. Registration of an investment advisor does not imply any specific level of skill or training and does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission. SFG Investment Advisors, Inc. only transacts business in states in which it is properly registered or excluded or exempted from registration. A copy of SFG Investment Advisors, Inc.'s current written disclosure brochure filed with the SEC, which discusses, among other things, SFG Investment Advisors, Inc. business practices, services, and fees, is available through the SEC's website at www.advisorinfo.sec.gov.